Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting live from the Morton Center in sunny Baltic, South Dakota. That is the site of the Ag PhD field day, but it was 10 below zero this morning, so we're safely inside a nice warm building, having our first workshop of the year, the Ag PhD Collegiate Workshop. Really excited to have a bunch of college students from all over a wide area here today. Uh, just learning together and uh, talking about various agricultural topics. We'll take questions from our audience here as the show goes along. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. And Brian, at the end of the day here, we gave these students a quiz and we wanted to talk through what the quiz was a little bit. For those of you who, who were not at our our uh, clinic today, uh, here, here's the example of the questions that we've got. Uh, well, not the example. These are the questions that we gave these uh, college students. The actual students. questions. Yep. So, so we, we got another collegiate <laughs> workshop, Brad. These are just examples. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the whole thing is we, we, we talked about a lot of things today, everything from weed control, insects, diseases, uh, soil fertility, drain tile, just a lot of basic things that you need to know as a farmer and as an agronomist. Or really, I any career in ag, it's important to know these things. And so, our area of ag is production agriculture, and we talk a lot about soils. So one of the first concepts production. That, we, yep. that we talk about in crop production is soil. And what electrical charge does soil have? Believe it or not, it does have an electrical charge. We talked today about how it has a negative electrical charge, which is why nutrients that are negatively charged as well often repel, don't attach to that soil, and are potentially leachable out in the field. All right, the next thing we talk about, base saturation potassium so much. It's important to know what your parts per million are in the soil test, but just as importantly, you've got to know where your base saturation levels are. And this year of all years, we had so much green snap and lodging in corn throughout the country. It was tied directly to potassium levels in the plant. We're looking for 4 to 8% base saturation K. That's really where we want to be on the potassium side. All right. Uh, oh, and by the way, I would just say uh, it appears that 99% of the people that took the, the quiz had the electrical charge right. 85% uh, had the potassium right. So we were, I mean, almost everybody was right there. Right. And uh, just for, for those of you who are not present today, if you're listening to the show, we have all the college students take a quiz. And if they take the quiz, they're eligible to get in the drawing for a number of college scholarships we'll be giving away here later during the show. Don't have to have a perfect score on the quiz. If you already missed one, don't worry about it. You're still eligible. All right. Uh, third question. In a 12-inch soil sample, how do you convert parts per million to pounds per acre? What number do you need to multiply times the parts per million? And we talk about a lot as six inch soil sample is pretty common. That represents 2 million pounds of soil. So in a 12 inch soil sample, that represents 4 million pounds of soil. So you'd multiply your parts per million times four to get pounds per acre. Yep. Another thing we covered earlier today is the importance of calcium in the soil. Calcium is important for human health. It's important for plant health. But one of the other big things that having good levels of calcium does is it gives you better porosity in the soil. In other words, you can get more air down deeper into the soil, and that's really important if you want to have healthy soils. Soil health is probably the number one topic uh, that is in farm magazines today, for example. Calcium. Okay. Uh, when lime is applied to the soil, what products are the result of that application? As we put calcium carbonate on soil that is low in soil pH or has excessive hydrogen, the resulting equation is you get free calcium, carbon dioxide, which plants breathe in, and water. 
So it's a very um, environmentally friendly application putting lime on low pH soil. We also talked about organic matter. We had a true or false question. Increasing soil organic matter allows soil to warm more quickly in the spring, and the answer is true. <laughs> yeah, this is making great radio. Dan. Yeah, it you is. Know, it I, is I, going I over is, a quiz. Is, yeah, it also makes more people ever. want to come to our <laughs> workshop, right? Gee, I'm going to go there and take a quiz <laughs> on my day off school. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you increase organic matter in the soil, one of the cool things though, is for each 1% of organic matter you can increase, uh, you can actually hold 4% more water in your soil. And one of the things that we talked about a lot was leachable nutrients. And of the, all the leachable nutrients, the one that was most leachable on our list that we had, potassium, phosphorus, zinc, or sulfate, well, sulfate would be the most in that case. Uh, a lot of times we'll talk about nitrate, nitrogen. You know, one of the things that we find very uncommon that fertilizer dealers will talk to their customers about is free nutrients that you get every year out of soil organic matter. In other words, for every 1% of soil organic matter, we figure roughly in the Midwest about 20 pounds of free nitrogen. That is a really big deal and about four to maybe seven pounds of free phosphorus. So if you think about it, 5% organic matter, that means you could get 100 pounds of free nitrogen. It means you could get uh, roughly 20 pounds of free phosphorus. That's awesome. So you don't have to put that fertilizer on every year. You can just get it out of your soil. All right, we talk about the cation exchange capacity when we think of nitrogen recommendations and how much nitrogen we can safely hold at any one time. We take 10 times the cation exchange capacity to, to get that answer. Uh, with nutrient deficiencies, we talked about that a little bit today. Uh, with sulfur and a lot of the micronutrient deficiencies, they show up on the newest leaf tissue because they're non-mobile within the plant. Yeah, speaking of leaf tissue, one of the most common deficiencies that we see on plant leaves is nitrogen. And where we see that is on the lower leaves of the plant because nitrogen is, is non-mobile or is mobile inside that plant. So it'll literally rob nitrogen to new growth and it'll leave some of those old leaves turning yellow and it starts up the midrib. All right, uh, when spraying Extendamax, we talked about spraying the new technologies, the new dicamba uh, formulations on dicamba tolerant crops. They are restricted use products. You have to spray when the wind's between three and 10 miles an hour. Yeah, we recommend getting done a couple hours before sunset and certainly there can't be sensitive crops downwind either. So just a few last things. We really like throwing ammonium sulfate together with Liberty. Uh, we recommend the neonic insecticides only be used as seed treatments. And the, one of the most dangerous substances you could come in contact with or ingest is, believe it or not, vitamin D, way more dangerous than almost any pesticide on the market today. We threw out a lot of random facts here, but we're just finishing up an Ag PhD Collegiate Agronomy Workshop. We'll be right back after this. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation and patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're really excited today because we are just finishing up our first workshop of the year, the Ag PhD Collegiate Workshop. And so we've got college students here from a number of different universities and tech schools. And uh, it's always a lot of fun when we get a group like this together. Okay, so again, our show for, for the rest of the show is your questions if you're in the audience today. So if, uh, if you've got a question for us, just raise your hand and somebody will come around to you with the microphone. Uh, if you would, just say uh, your first name. We don't need your whole name, just your first name and the school that you are attending. I think people would be interested in that. But uh, I, I know we got a few prizes for you today, too. So if you ask a question, uh, you will get one of the Ag PhD prizes as well. Uh, so one of the things where we, we talked about this a little bit earlier today, but uh, with these nutrients and being mobile and immobile in the plant, this is one where when we went through that, this little quiz at the end, we saw quite a few people did not get the correct answer on this. So Darren, maybe you want to explain a little bit more about movement in the plant with nutrients. Well, and it's different than movement in the soil. And that's one of the things that's a little bit tricky because you think about sulfur and when we apply sulfur to the soil, it's one of those nutrients we listed as leachable and highly mobile within the soil. However, once it gets in the plant, uh, it doesn't move much. So once sulfur is into a part of the leaf or a part of the stalk, it, it stays in that spot. So that's what we mean by non-mobile. They don't move around in the plant. They get to one part, they become basically a building block for that part of the plant. You can't move them anymore. Okay, so again, if you've got a question, just raise your hand. We'll come around to you with the mic real quick. Uh, one question that I had right away afterwards was from someone who said, all right, well, what if I want to no-till? I'm basically just doing some vertical tillage, and I wanna, but yet I want to get my fertilizer deeper. Because we saw, you know, what, what you talked about during the, the show is 
hey, phosphorus just doesn't move in soil. Well, it seemed kind of tricky, Brian, because we talked about, hey, there are a lot of benefits with no-till. We talked about a reduction in erosion. We talked about building organic matter, uh, all the good things from leaving that root mass intact in the soil from year to year. That's great. And it sounds like, wow, you guys are really pro no-till. And we say, no, we're not. We're not pro one thing or the other. We're just putting out what the options are. And when you think about no-till, one of the challenges, like you just mentioned, is how do you get fertility down deeper into the soil, especially with things like phosphate that we don't want to see run off if you have a great big rain or you have hilly ground. You want it down in the soil. It doesn't move much in soil. So if I could just put it down in there four to six inches deep, now I don't have to worry about erosion, and I've got it down where my plant is going to have lots of roots. Yeah, absolutely. So the whole point is I don't mind investing money, and, and we don't mind as a farmer seeing you invest money, but we want that money to pay off. So you get a good return on it. When you lay it on the soil surface, it's not going to do you a lot of good, and now you're putting yourself and your farm in a lot more environmental risk. All right, let's take our first question. Um, I'm Tori from SDSU. Is there a resource? Oh, by the way, that's not San Diego State. That's She's not an Aztec. State. She's a jackrabbit. <laughs> yes. Go Jacks. Um, is there a resource for, for farmers to access the information we got today on the soil test reading? Ooh, good question. Okay, so one of the things at our workshop is we talked about how to read a soil test start to finish. And obviously, uh, we're going through it one time. We're going through it relatively fast. And for, for many people who are present today, it was the first time they've ever seen that. Uh, so a great question is, where do you find resources online? There is a lot of egg PhD content that's free and available online. Uh, we've got a lot of things on our YouTube channel about uh, each component of this soil test. Um, and we've also put together a book that everybody's going home with that has a lot of printed material as well. Yep. So one of the biggest things that we suggest to anybody that comes to any of our workshops Take lots of notes and then review all that stuff right away. And if you have questions, just send us the questions. And quite frankly, during our radio show every day, we take live phone calls. We answer emails. Uh, we handle a lot of these things that way. But yeah, Darren mentioned uh, in terms of our videos online, you can go to our website or you can go to YouTube and you can just look up Ag PhD and soil test. And if you want to get real specific, Ag PhD potassium or Ag PhD manganese, whatever it is, uh, so you can get more information on that exact topic that you're looking for. Yeah, the other thing that I'd say is get practice. So let's just say that you are from a farm operation and you get home and you ask your parents, all right, what do you got for soil tests? And they may be like, well, what do you want to see the soil test for? I just want to see them. Uh, get the soil tests out and start going through them. We, we lay out a real easy to follow 12-step program about here's where, how we step through these soil tests in order of uh, importance to some degree, but at least to have uh, a good format to, to get through that test. Take some notes on those soil tests at home and, okay, we're going to look at soil pH first. We're going to look at cation exchange capacity and organic matter and base saturation and, and just work your way down through the nutrients. Uh, and see if that falls into the ranges that we're shooting for on a ideal test to be kind of balanced with our nutrients. Uh, and that'll get you thinking and get you uh, into some questions about, wow, we're really short in this one nutrient on our farm. Uh, I believe we've got our, our presentation recorded today. Do we not, Alex? 
yes, we've got it recorded today, so that would be one of the things, too. Uh, we can email out everybody the link so you can watch the recording. I'd also say we do have a full-day soils clinic coming up on January 30th right here at the Morton Center on the site of the Ag PhD field day. It's a free clinic, uh, so anybody that's listening today, you can attend the Ag PhD soils clinic on Thursday, January 30th. All right, All right let's go to our question. next question. Hi, I'm Daniel DeBoer from South Dakota State. Um, you guys were saying earlier, like when you were talking about mineralization and the organic matter that yep. like a soybean credit or like legume credit isn't an actual real thing. Right. But I just spent an entire semester building <laughs> recommendations <laughs> off that in fertilizer class. Yep. Um, and we would say it's wrong. Well, and <laughs> here's the thing. Is but, let's just yeah. say for a second. Well, wait, let, let, wait, stop. Let him finish, let okay. him answer, ask his question. But as far as like soybeans or like alfalfa, wouldn't yep. they fixate enough nitrogen throughout the season to make that actually like considerable amount to consider for the following year or not? Great. That's a great yep. great piece of logic there. And I, I, I look at it this way. Uh, when, when I was going through probably the same classes that you took, uh, they would say, oh, 40 bushel soybeans, we figure 40 pounds of nitrogen left for next year's crop. Rather than guessing, we prefer to measure. We would say, right. let's go pull a soil test and see how many pounds there are, because on our farm, we aren't raising 40 bushel beans anymore. We're raising 60, 70, 80 bushel soybeans. And what we've found is that, okay, well, what do you do with 60 bushel beans? And I remember that question getting asked, and I, I remember hearing an answer, well, it's probably 60 pounds of nitrogen credit. Well, we've found on our farm there might be zero left or there might be 100 pounds. Sometimes there's way more pounds than what we would have ever thought. And we're like, well, how did we get 100 pounds of nitrate left at the end of the year? I don't know. It must have great nodulation or, but or something. Here's the thing. To some degree, you answered your own question when you use the words, it can fixate nitrogen during the season. We agree with that 100%. It absolutely does. Any of those legumes can fix nitrogen during the season. The question is how much is left. And that's what we're trying to determine. So if we're going to guess, then yeah, anybody can take a shot at the dark. It might be 40 pounds, might be 60 pounds. We just like to actually measure because sometimes it's a lot more and sometimes it's a lot less. Now, this never used to be a big deal in the old days when we were raising 100, 130 bushel corn and he got 30, 40 bushel beans. Who cares? Well, now we're going for big time yields. And when we start talking about 300 bushel corn and all the nitrogen we have to apply, it makes a big difference, not only in the yield, but in the cost. Uh, if Hey, do I need an extra 100 pounds of nitrogen or do I not? And just as an example, the last two falls, we've had two of the wettest falls in history in this area. And we tested our soil and normally, yes, we might have 50, 60 pounds of nitrogen left. This year and last year, we had 10. Had we not tested, had we said, oh, we'll just figure the normal thing, we would have gone into the year thinking we had more nitrogen available. And quite frankly, I think that's why for some people, their yields got really hurt this last year because they thought they had more nitrogen coming in than they actually did. So yeah, we're not saying there's no nitrogen left in the soil. We're just simply saying you can't take a random number and apply that to all recommendations. We like having data to really pinpoint what do we actually have out there. That's and I think, you know, it's a challenge too, Brian, because there are a lot of farm operations that don't soil sample every year. Or they say, you know, I'm going to soil sample one-fourth of my farm and I'll come back every yep. fourth year and hit this ground again. And if you're in that situation, well, what you're are you guessing. looking at? You're kind of you're going to have to guess to some degree. So we just prefer to measure things and try to be as precise as we can. Great question. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG soil fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today we are not in the Morton studio. We're in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We're just wrapping up our first Ag PhD Collegiate Workshop of the Year. Collegiate Agronomy Workshop. And, you know, as, as we're doing that, Brian, we're getting a lot of questions here. So let's dive right back in to another question. Hi, my name is JC and I go to SDSU. Um, and being an Ag Ed major, I've got a little bit of a different question for you. Um, so we kind of focused on how to teach our students different things, um, but I'm also kind of passionate about teaching the general public a few different things about agriculture. Um, so I just kind of want to hear your guys' short pitch on GMOs and why they're beneficial um, to grow them. That's, that's a great question. You know, when we think about uh, what, what a GMO is, 
most of the time when we hear the terminology GMO, it's coming from uh, somebody that, that's against it. And we hear biotech from ag groups that are for this technology, and it's, it, it's uh, misunderstood. There's no doubt about it. I got a good story. There is a group of farmers from, from the Midwest that were traveling uh, around the world on a, a big tour with, I don't remember if it was the Corn Growers or the Soybean Association, one of those big organizations. And they went to a country in Africa and they were speaking to a bunch of politicians and stuff first, and then they were going to go out and visit farms and, and visit small uh, rural villages. And they got a question just like this and, and somebody said, all right, so are all of you farmers? And all, everyone in the group was a farmer. And they're like, yep, we're all farmers. Do you use GMOs on your farm? And the farmers all like kind of looked uh, deer in the headlights. It's like, oh, no, we don't want to offend anybody here. We don't know how to answer that question. And one of the farmers is like, well, I'll, I'll go first. You bet. I do on every single acre of my ground because now I'm using technology that's in the plant and I don't have to spray insecticides. And I've got bees around my area. I've got... Uh, beneficial insects out of my fields. I don't have to do any damage to them, and yet I can still raise a successful crop. And the next farmer said, you know, one of the things that's important to me, I've got a, a biotech trait in my corn now where it stops ear-feeding worms. And I used to always have these worms that would chew through the ears, and then I had lots of uh, mycotoxins in my grain, and now I've got a safer grain product that I can sell uh, at the end of the year. And, Safer and more healthy. Yeah, and so they just talked through a couple of things, and the person that asked the question said, oh, I'm so thankful to hear you say that because we love biotechnology in our country. It's been great. It's allowed us to grow food in areas where otherwise it was too dry and too stressful uh, to raise successful crops. And I, I think that's that's a lot of the angle that I like to take is just let's talk about what actually we're trying to do. And one of the challenges with our industry is some of the first traits that we came out with only really benefited the farmer. Like, for example, Roundup Ready soybeans. Okay, so for the farmer, he can use Roundup to kill his weeds, and it's cheaper, and it worked a little better than some of the other chemistries. There's nobody in the store that's going to say, oh, I have to go buy Roundup Ready soybeans because that adds some nutritional quality for me. You know, if we would have come out with something that, all right, this is going to improve heart health or something like that, where all consumers are heading towards that, like golden rice, for example. Wow, this is great. We can put vitamins in the rice to help people who are short to those vitamins. And now it's a preferred premium product. That's great. But we didn't come with those traits first, unfortunately. The, the first trait that they did come with was uh, BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. So that is a natural protein that kills insects because the insect can't digest that protein, but humans and livestock can digest it just fine. And the funny thing is, in organic production, you can use virtually the same BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, uh, there's a product, uh, Dipel, that you could spray over the top of corn. It's labeled today, even or in organic production. So it's fine for organic people to use it, yet when we put it inside the corn, same stuff, same protein, and oh, now it's bad. No, 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 it's bad, it's inside the corn. Well, what's the difference? There is no difference. So we just find that kind of interesting. Well, and the other thing about that, let's talk about the BT. When you think about the bugs that we're trying to kill, they have an alkaline digestive system, so they can't break down that protein. As humans, we have an acid digestion system, and we don't have any problem breaking that protein down. So the same protein that kills a bug because he can't break it down and it basically stops up their gut, we don't have any of those issues. Yep. We could accomplish the same thing if we fed him a steak, but this is a lot cheaper. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Where's our next question? Go ahead. 
Uh, so my name is Emma. I'm from Morningside College. Um, I wanted to ask about how you guys talk so highly about the liberty. Are you um, afraid that it might cause resistance like the Roundup did and all of the other ones? Well, that's a great question. We did talk about pesticide resistance a little bit today and talked about using multiple effective modes of action. The one thing that scares me about anything like a product like Liberty that works so well is I think at least 90% of farmers, Brian, are using just Liberty when they do that on that particular application. Now, they may be using other products throughout the season, and maybe if anything got past the Liberty, they'd knock it out with that. But, boy, a lot of times Liberty is the last pass they make with a herbicide, and it's getting used all by itself. Yep, so a couple of the reasons why we worry is, number one, today there are no resistant weeds, so it's awesome. To Liberty. Yep, to, to Liberty herbicide. But Or glufosinate, if you're, you're listening and uh, you don't know what Liberty is. Yep, but the challenge is with Liberty, it kills weeds. In order to kill weeds, you have to have good spray coverage. It doesn't move very well through the plant. So you could either cut the rate or you could just not do, not get very good coverage out there. And in effect, you're getting a reduced rate in. And we all know with reduced rates, that's usually where a lot of the resistance comes. Because like we always tell farmers, a dead weed can't become a resistant weed. Just make sure it's dead. And that's why we like multiple effective modes of action. If the weed's dead, somehow, if one of them killed them, great. Now we don't have to worry about resistance issues. Okay, Brian. So but now to Darren's a point, a lot of times it is sprayed just by itself. And, and a lot of farmers have been waiting for these stack traits where, okay, now I can spray Liberty and I can put Dicamba with it with Extend Flex. Or now I can spray Liberty and put uh, the new 2,4-D choline with it with Enlist, for example. But even if you're just raising straight Liberty Link soybeans, there are other chemistries you can mix with the Liberty to, to kill these weeds too. So we do recommend using a tank mix whenever you can so you have at least two effective modes of action in the, in the mix at all times. All right. Uh, next question over there. Yep. I am uh, Marty Riediger from SD State. And uh, I know we have a field we've had a lot of problems with as far as drainage and I think we've tiled it three times now, twice in the last three years. And it's mainly just we have one problem spot left. Yep. And I know we ran two main lines through it. It's just 10 acres. And we never really got any results from that. And my dad and I have been talking a lot about uh, what other options there are for trying to reduce soil moisture as far as, you know, whether that means trying to do less tillage or more tillage or possibly using cover crops and then taking them off. And I'm just curious on what you guys would recommend for just certain spots. Like yep. that. So yeah, the first thing that I would do is I'd recommend renting the ground out to your brother. He'll probably pay high dollar rent. You'll make more money doing that anyway. But if you did want to keep farming that ground and fix it, uh, there's probably a couple other things. To well, try. I, I I would be interested to talk more to you about See, that. He wants, about to, why rent, he wants to rent that ground from me right now. <laughs> no, I want to figure out why we have a problem because tile works. But my my assumption here is either it got put in wrong or you know some of the tile got crushed or something like that which could happen or it's just really heavy ground and you need more tile or, or a little more shallow or closer together right and then that's the next thing is when you talk about okay once you put tile in that doesn't mean you're totally done we got to take a look at that calcium score too what's our calcium percent because if it's 50 percent magnesium stuff just isn't going to move uh it, it can't move 
So anyway, we've got to get calcium levels up and then yes, compaction, that's a really big thing. So for example, over in Minnesota, we've worked with a lot of farmers there that have had tile in the ground for years and years and all of a sudden it kind of stopped working and they're like, oh, I guess the tile needs to be replaced. We go check it out and it's like, well, your tile looks just fine. The problem here is you got massive compaction. They reduced the compaction and then all of a sudden the tile started working again. So yeah, it's, it's calcium, it's compaction. Uh, you know, when you talk about that, cover crops, you can do some of that. Our concern is long-term perennial crops. If you start putting alfalfa in that's going to be in for five years, that can actually get in and, and sometimes damage some of the tile that you did put out there. So you got to be a little careful. We need to look at that outlet, too, and see where yes. that's at. I know we had some issues with that this year just because the water tables were yep. so high and maybe rivers it, were so high Maybe you don't year. have enough slope. Maybe you need to physically pump that stuff out. I mean, there are, there are some other things that can be done. Well, we'll talk more about that over the break here too you're listening to ag phd radio today we're following the ag phd collegiate agronomy workshop and we'll be right back after this what do you think of when you hear palmer amaranth or water hemp if you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields you don't have to think about them at all with two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Using NSERVE Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERVE delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERVE is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop, plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. Avoid dry run failures with the new Hypro Force Field Pump. Providing the ultimate protection, this wet seal pump will save you on costly in-season downtime to keep your sprayer running. Now all you have to worry about is the weather. Hypro, helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. 
our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting from the Morton Center today at the Ag PhD Field Day site. Happy to be inside. It was quite cold out there today. Uh, and, and we're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Collegiate Agronomy Workshop. We're taking questions from the audience. Let's get right back to it. I'm Ben from Ridgewater College. I We talked about a lot of the soil testing today and everything. Um, I know you, you can pay somebody, obviously, to go out and soil test your field, but that's not necessarily economic to do that every year. How much, if you were to go through and do all the soil tests, all the different things you should look at every year, what is it going to cost? Like, we have most of the equipment, the GPS, the four-wheeler sure. pickup, whatever you use. I just wondered what's the so, all the soil tests going to cost every year per acre? Yep, all depends on the lab that you go to. A lot of labs, you're talking 25 bucks, let's just say. Um, you can get a deal if you're doing more. So like when we're going one acre grids and through our app, I think it's 16 bucks an acre uh, or 16 bucks a sample. In effect, that it amounts to that. If you don't want to test everything, you only want to test a little bit of stuff. It can be done cheaper. There's some labs that'll do it cheaper. You can also get what's called a Malik 3 test. Uh, we don't like that as well as the DTPA test that Midwest Labs or AgVise or somebody might run, but you could certainly do that. It's a cheaper way to go, and in some cases it might only be 10 bucks to do a complete test. Uh, so anyway, there are a number of options out there. So that's kind of your range, 10 to 25 bucks. All depends on what you want. Yeah, I just look at it this way. If you're spending $100 an acre on fertility, uh, it, it pays to spend just a little bit of money to see if you're doing the right thing. A little thing. bit, but you start running the math. Like on our farm, we have 3,000 acres. If we were going to spend 16 bucks on all 3,000 acres and we did it every year, uh, that's a lot of money. You know, you're talking almost 50 grand. You go, I don't know that I want to spend that much. And I don't know that you necessarily well, need and, to and, spend and that honestly, much or you do may it not every have year. Time. Let's just say that if, yep. let's just say you were farming all this ground yourself, Brian, just yep. you, would you have time to get all those samples pulled? Maybe not. Maybe not timely. Especially no, but I have kids. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that works for a few years. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, uh, you know, that's a good question uh, as to what it's worth for your farm. I think you just start with a field or two and you start working your way up and you say, you know what, let's do these couple of fields and let's mm -hmm. figure out what differences we see. One thing that was interesting on a field that I picked up uh, a few years back, we did 10 acre grids and then we did five acre grids and then we did two and a half acre grids on that field, just back to back to back. And so, so all like the same day just to see what kind of differences would show up because we were trying to figure out, well, what would be the right grid size to do? So we had a 60-acre field that it isn't that expensive to, to do these, this amount of testing out here just to see. And it was really interesting the differences that showed up when we got down to yep. a smaller grid size. Yeah. Because our, our goal was, hey, we can set up zones so we only have to take a few samples out here. And what we ended up learning was, wow. Uh, there are a bunch of little zones within these big zones that showed up for us, especially when it came to liming and fixing pH that, yep, that we needed to fix. We'd way rather have you test fewer acres and 
do a really good job testing. Get complete test number one and do either small grids or small zones. And then what, what it allows you to do is even things out over time and eventually you might be able to go to big zones or big grids. But in the short term, what ended up happening like on our farm is we were looking at big zones and we started doing some liming and we put too much lime on well, and put it in some of the wrong places and then that cost us a bunch of money in yield and now we have to put elemental sulfur on to get the pH back down. And it's just like, dumb, like this particular so we got to go field. smaller. With the 60-acre field, when we did 10-acre grids, we took six different points. Well, we figured out we needed to lime three of them. So 30 acres of that we were going to lime. Then we got down to the two-and-a-half-acre grids, and we realized, oh, there's really only 12-and-a-half acres out of this whole field that needs lime. The rest of it is high pH and doesn't need it at all. It's going to be a bad thing. So, yeah, it really saved us a bunch on that. So I know from a pH standpoint, smaller areas, definitely worth it. You know, from a nutrient standpoint, we saw the same thing. That part of that field used to be uh, an area where they fed a lot of livestock and our micronutrient levels were really high in that part of the field along with phosphorus and the rest of the field was really short. And if we would have just done a broadcast application across the whole field, obviously it would have been pretty ineff inefficient. All right. Uh, uh, next question is right here. Oh, go ahead. I'm Justin from Southwest Wisconsin Technical College. You talked about gall midge insects and soybeans. Yep. What time of the year do they present themselves? Well, normally what we see, okay, so we talked about the soybean gall midge. It's a small little fly that comes early in the season. Well, a lot of times see those flies moving around in May. And then early in June, a lot of times is when we'll see those eggs that they laid inside the soybean stem hatch and start eating the stem out. And what a lot of farmers were thinking, as Brian had mentioned earlier today, they were thinking, wow, I've got this disease problem out there in the field, and then these bugs are coming in after the fact. But what was happening is the bugs were the cause of the disease problem. They were chewing and feeding on that plant, and now disease set in. So, yeah, I'd be scouting out there really from mid-May through mid-June, depending on when those soybeans went in the ground. But in Wisconsin, a lot of them are going to get planted in early May. Uh, so the beans, if they're uh, three, four inches tall to maybe a foot tall, that's when those little flies are laying the, the eggs inside the stem. Yeah, and unfortunately, it looks like it's moving your way. I don't know that there are any confirmed cases in Wisconsin today, but uh, we, are, we are very concerned about it moving forward. All right, uh, next question. Where are we at? Yep, go ahead. Uh, I'm Bradley from Iowa State, and I have uh, two questions, actually. One about banding fertilizer and cost. Okay. So, like, a Soil Warrior's $150,000 bar, David Hula's, he likes the Soil Warrior and uses yep. it a lot. Yep. Um, what do you guys think about maybe a smaller farmer trying to get into banding, the options for that? And then, uh, I know we didn't talk some about micronutrients like manganese and boron, and I've foliar fed micronutrients before uh -huh. what do you guys think about that benefits take backs boron and end fill and corn things like that sure okay so first of all in terms of banding uh whether you're a big farm or a small farm banding makes a lot of sense especially when you don't own the ground so we did a long-term study on our own farm where we banded roughly 500 acres versus we broadcast roughly 500 acres. And we did this for about 12 years. And in 12 years time, we were putting on every single year, 50% more P and K than what the crop should require and what we were putting on for banding. 
to basically prove the fact of what the universities and soil labs were saying, hey, you can cut your rate by a third, or the way I always phrase it is, well, you got to put on 50% more in the broadcast versus the band. And in the 12 years, we basically gained almost no yield. Now, eventually, and here we are about 15 years later, we've started to gain some yield. Well, I'm, I got a lot of gray hair already. How long am I going to have to wait for that yield gain to be coming? So it was great to build up the soil, and long term it's great because we owned the ground. But if we were renting ground, there's no chance I would be broadcasting fertilizer. I'd absolutely be banding P and K. It doesn't make as much difference with the mobile nutrients in soil, nitrogen, sulfur, boron, those kind of things. But yeah, banding for rented ground, I think, is absolutely the way to go. And like with Soil Warrior, you mentioned uh, high cost. Keep in mind, you can get smaller machines too. I think uh, for our testing, uh, for our, we do a whole bunch of research plots at Ag PhD. We've got a four-row machine, for example. Well, that didn't cost near that much. Well, and, uh, and, and plus you're doing a lot of jobs. You're doing your seedbed prep. You're doing your fertilizer right. placement. You're doing your right. residue management all it's in one, one pass. shot. Uh, in terms of foliar feeding, we foliar feeding is okay. We prefer feeding the soil rather than the foliar feeding, especially because we don't irrigate, we're cold, and we don't know necessarily when we're going to get rainfall. So it, it's a, a little more challenging. Some of the high-yield guys, you mentioned David Hula, for example. Okay, well, he's got irrigation. He can control the, the weather, in effect. We can't. So it's a little different spot. The other thing that we learned from Hula and Randy Dowdy and some of those really high-yield guys is use some fulvic acid with your foliar fertilizer. And when we started doing that, we started getting a little more response that way. Uh, one other thing that I'll mention to you with that is you can do plant tissue analysis and you can try, let's say, three different, you mentioned manganese, three different manganese products. Test them all. Test the, do tissue tests before, do tissue tests a couple weeks after, and let's see, hey, or a week after, whatever, let's see, did we change anything in the plant? If we did, you go, oh, that's a good product. If you didn't, then you say, eh, maybe, maybe not so much. All right, um, right after this break, we are going to announce our 36 Ag PhD scholarship winners. Uh, so th that is part of the reason why we did the Ag PhD agronomy or collegiate agronomy workshop today is to give away all these college scholarships. So we'll be doing that right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Maximize your flexibility and control the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses with Anthem Max herbicide from FMC. With a wide application window in both corn and soybeans and with an easy to tank mix formulation, Anthem Max is ready to go when you are. Visit fmcagus.com or ask your FMC retailer about Anthem Max herbicide. Always read and follow all label directions and precautions for use. FMC and Anthem are trademarks of FMC Corporation or an affiliate. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We are live in the Morton Center, uh, broadcasting near Baltic, South Dakota today. Just finished up an Ag PhD Collegiate Agronomy Workshop. We just put up on the screen the winners. We are actually giving away 36 Ag PhD scholarships, although uh, one, and Darren, why don't you mention that real quick, uh, is coming from Steps GMS. Yeah, we're really, well. really thankful. We started talking about doing this, and I know we had a number of different uh, uh, people want to partner with us. Steps GMS came in as well and, and said, well, hey, add another one to that at each one of your workshops you do. We'd really like to be a part of this, really excited about it. And it, it is great to see a lot of young people coming into agriculture. Now, before the show today, I told Darren, yeah, I'll, I'll read off all the, all the names of people. <laughs> I said, I go, good luck with that. No, I, I, I'm not going to read <laughs> off all the names. Plus, well, I see at I'll, least I'll, 10 different schools on the list, too, which is really exciting. Yeah, so uh, we, we just just to, to let you so for our listeners today, uh, we have a, a lot of college students present and uh, tech school uh, uh, students present as well. So these scholarships, uh, you had to be a current college student in order to be eligible for one of the scholarships that we're giving away today. And yeah, there are a lot of different colleges, universities, tech schools present. Uh, so just some of those that we are giving scholarships away to their students, South Dakota State University, Iowa State, uh, Ridgewater, Southwest Wisconsin Tech, uh, let's see, Cloud uh, County Community, uh, Dort, Morningside, um, Lake Area. So we've, we've got a lot of different universities, a lot of different tech schools represented here today. Uh, I just wanted to thank all of you a lot for being here today, if you are here. Also, uh, for any of our listeners, we do have one other Ag PhD Collegiate Workshop we are doing that is in Watertown, South Dakota next month. So you can check out agphd.com to learn more about that. We got a little bit of time yet yep. for some questions here. Yeah, let's dive yep. back into another agronomic question here. 
Hi, I'm Colin Trader from Morningside College. Um, just a quick question. Um, I live up in Northwest Iowa, and we've had some issues with extended diapause and northern corn rootworm. Yep. I was just wondering what some are, or what are some management practices you guys uh, would recommend using? To uh, let, you know, it's yeah. it's a challenge Let's, in Northwest Iowa as well with with all the corn that's planted for the livestock there. And and when you get into a heavy corn rotation, even if you aren't doing corn on corn, chances are you got some neighbors that are, and that that doesn't help you any either. Yeah, so we have a couple of different things that are going on in your area and, and really throughout the region. So there's the extended diapause that you mentioned. And basically what ends up happening is the rootworms will lay eggs. They don't hatch for two seasons. So you rotate to soybeans, you think you're safe. You rotate then to corn, and that's when the hatch happens. We see that more with the northern corn rootworms. With the western corn rootworms, we see more of those laying their eggs in soybean fields. And then you rotate to corn and you go, uh oh, now I've got a problem. What the heck's going on? So, obviously, the one way to handle this is don't plant corn. Otherwise, yeah, and, that's, and that's not going to happen in Northwest <laughs> Iowa. Right. Yep. Otherwise, the suggestion is one of two things either use insecticide or use the BT rootworm trait or both. And the challenge with the BT rootworm trait, the first confirmed resistance to a BT rootworm trait in the world happened one mile away from where we are today. Uh, so, and it took several years before the USDA uh, and South Dakota State University grew those out and confirmed, yep, resistant, next generation that's, resistant, next that's generation the challenge. resistant. They, right. They've got to do so much to prove it because you think about yep. it, if a university came out and said, or, or the government came out and said, oh, there's resistance, well, they've just destroyed a, a company by saying, oh, their stuff doesn't work anymore, so they've got to be really sure before they do. But, yeah, we were really pretty sure when we first saw that, that so, oh, we've got a problem. Yep. So now what we tell people on the rootworm, BT rootworm trade is make sure you have two. If you have two, then for the most part, you're pretty safe. Like SmartStacks has two different rootworm traits, and but that he, does work But even well. so, Brian, under heavy pressure, they're still going to be feeding because the bugs have to take a bite out of that root system to ingest that BT protein. Uh, that, that just can be overwhelming to a plant, too, if there's so many bugs chewing on the roots. So we do like the option of both in heavy pressure areas like northwest Iowa. Yep, so a lot of times if it's just extended diapause, the pressure isn't super heavy. We can get by with just insecticide, but insecticide you're usually only talking 80 to 90% control. If it's super heavy pressure, that's where we suggest going smart stacks, and then you can get 99 plus percent control. So that, that, that's kind of uh, where, where we would fall on that whole thing. You know, what's interesting too, Brian, so we've got a lot of young people in the room, and I, I talked to several that said, you know, I'm, I'm, my plan is I'm going back home to farm. I'm going to farm with my cousins. I'm going to farm with my parents. I'm going to farm with my grandparents. Well, whatever the case may be and whatever the situation and opportunity is for you, I think when you come back, the excitement for uh, people that are already farming, and they say, great, I've got a young person coming back. Obviously, uh, you're young, you're strong. Uh, great, here's somebody that can do a lot of work and really help me out is one thing. But just that enthusiasm and excitement that comes back in of, wow, uh, this is great. We know this farm's going to live on for another generation. Let's try and get better. Let's upgrade some things. I know uh, a lot of folks uh, comment, and they're like, man, my parents, like, fix stuff up at the house for my graduation or they painted the house or whatever. We see the same thing when, 
when young people come back into the farm operation, hey, that's when we got the new tractor. That's when we got the new combine. That's when we expanded and picked up that extra farm over here. Uh, there is a lot of excitement and enthusiasm that comes back. Unfortunately, you're not coming back with a lot of cash. You're coming back with, hey, I'm excited. I'm ready to work. Uh, this is going to be fun. We hope today sparks a little bit of um, information excitement too, that you know what? Hey, here's something that maybe uh, my folks or my brother or my cousins, whoever don't understand, they don't understand this part of agriculture, like reading a soil test, or they don't understand the technical aspects. I know there are some students here uh, that are precision ag majors, and they're really excited to get home because they're the ones already at 18, 19, 20 years old, and, and maybe some of you in the room are, are these people that are fixing that equipment and making sure it all runs. Uh, there, there's just so many ways that you can add value back into the operation. Uh, I can tell you this, you're coming into the right field. Uh, agriculture is so exciting right now and it's changing so quickly. And we are just hungry for everybody in agriculture to bring more people in. I'll tell you a couple of the lessons that our dad gave us. One was he said, and this always cracked me up, uh, the definition of experience is previous mistakes. And then he would say, the difference between farmers who are successful and those who aren't is the size of their mistakes. And one of the great things for our dad, he let us make some mistakes on a small scale. And probably the number one thing I would say to anybody that wants to go back to the farm, you're going to go back day one and you're super excited and you're going to say, uh, dad and mom, let's do this. And they're going to say no. And you're going to say, well, let's do this. And they're going to say no. And you're going to say, well, let's do this. And they're going to say no, 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 no. You're going to hear no a lot. And what I would propose to you and you propose to them is say, how about this? How about if we try my idea on just a few acres and let me prove it to you over time that this is going to work, whether that's tiling, whether that's one acre soil test grids, complete soil tests, testing more often, variable rate stuff. I mean, yes, some of the equipment can be super expensive, but you can also get into some small equipment that's used and it doesn't have to cost that much money and do stuff on a small scale, prove it out, and then maybe your whole farm switches over to that in the long term. So you're going to come back with a lot of great information, uh, but I'm just trying to, to tell you it's very, very common where the, the, the person who's in charge is going to say, no, nah, we've always done it this way, so we're just going to keep doing it that way. Just ask him, give me a few acres. Let me try a little bit of stuff. Let's see. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, I was just saying the great thing with our dad is he didn't mind us making mistakes as long as they were small. And as but long as like, we didn't you, make them over and over and over again. Right. Yep. you got to learn from them, and then you move on. Hey, the, la the last thing I'll say, and I, I know we're speaking to a lot of younger people here, but this is for the older generation that's excited about bringing these young people back in the operation. I'll say this. Let them make decisions. Let them do the cool jobs like planting and harvest and those kinds of things. Don't hold those all for yourself. You've got to give them a shot to get started on these things because, like Brian said, the only way they're going to get experience is by doing. And I talk to too many farm operations that say, well, I'm running the books. I'm not going to let them see any of that. I'm running the planter. I'm running the combine. They're going to do the jobs in between. Uh, I would say this. Share that load. Let them get started early. I know that's one thing that our dad did that was really smart is he let us do a lot of jobs that other people our age weren't getting a chance to do yet. And he said, uh, you guys are probably going to screw up and I'm still young enough to help you out and fix things. 
right. but well, but you got to get involved. All right. Before we go, again, we want to say thanks to everyone who came to our Ag PhD Collegiate Agronomy Workshop. We appreciate it. Congratulations to all the scholarship winners. We'll talk to you right away afterwards. And thanks to everybody at home. I really appreciate you listening today. And join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Thank you.